0: We are here in WeWork Oldgate Tower for the first of our three-part blockchain special on FinTech Insider. And now is quite possibly the best time in the world to be doing this. I don't know if you've checked out the price of cryptocurrencies recently, but oh my goodness, are they exploding. And oh my goodness, is the world going crazy once again. Now, it's either tulip mania, or there's something to this blockchain thing, or we've all taken leave of our senses. And those were, that was three ors, which doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, I think this matters to anybody who's in financial services. It matters to anybody who cares about the future of open source technology. And one way or another, this is either going to be a great case study or it's going to be something that affects your business. We're doing this um, podcast as a three-part special now because there are a number of things going on as we speak. The Consensus Conference in New York is happening right now. Um, we have seen the launch of tokens and ICOs in the open source space. We've seen the launch of the Ethereum Alliance, which if you haven't heard about it, we'll talk about on the show. And we've seen a lot happening with banks and non-financial institutions in the blockchain space i've been interested in this subject for quite some time i started out in barclays as the head of blockchain research and development got involved in ethereum in late 2013 early 2014 and have watched this space grow from oh my god it's the next big thing to oh my god it's never going to do anything to right back to oh my god it's the next big thing so we're going to have a different type of format of show than your usual wednesday show on fintech insider we're going to talk about some blockchain-specific news for around about 20 minutes, then we're going to have a quick ad break, and then we're going to get into a deep dive about what are tokens and what are ICOs. Uh, to join me today, I've got some fantastic guests to lead us through this wilderness of tokens and ICOs, and goodness, oh my, we have Euros Evans with us. Euros, can you tell the uh, audience a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Hi, yes. Um, I've been building a Ethereum community in London for the last two years. And now uh, launching a Ethereum platform called Edge.
0: Very, very cool. A community of Ether people uh, called Nomans, I believe. Yes. Very cool. And Colin Platt is with us. Colin, the superstar, formerly of BNP Paribas. Uh, wow, that rhymed. Uh, and now doing your own thing at Deepactum, I believe.
2: I am. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so we are. I'm co-founder of a company. We're building derivatives clearing solutions using DLT, not even blockchain.
0: Wow, look at you being all, all different to the crowd. Uh, and, of course, we've got our good friend from the news shows on Fintech Insider, Kadim Shriver from the FT with us, who still runs all of the FT, I believe. I do still run
3: all of the FT, I'm, I'm, but I'm clinging on. I'm being attacked from all sides.
0: Oh, my goodness. They're always trying to get you down, man. They are always trying to hold you down. All right, so first story up this week uh, is one from, uh, I think it's Coindesk here, where the CFTC have set up a lab and they want some blockchain research and development in there. And this story is, is a bit more fintech than just blockchain, uh, insofar as that the CFTC have set up a lab CFTC, kind of uh, as a wink and a nod to Project Innovate from the FCA, kind of saying, we know we need more of this fintech innovation stuff. But what's really interesting to me about it is... um they've also launched uh, what they call CFTC 2.0 so they're actually looking not only can we work with fintech businesses and help them get licensed by the CFTC but also how do we change the business of being the CFTC working with fintech and working with blockchain and DLT Uh, so I spoke to the chairman uh, of the the acting chairman of the CFTC uh, and uh, here's that interview I think there's something really nice about changing the norms of, uh, you know, kind of like uh, the the old school regulation, which was uh, this is the list of rules. And then this is the files format that everybody has to report on to. This is a collaborative. uh, How can we do this better type approach? Uh, how can we use the best of digital technology to make technical rules as well as uh, as rules around in paper and, and really be digital first? That That's hugely, hugely exciting. And uh, I'm really interested in your views on DLT and the opportunities it presents to regulators and market participants, as well as any potential pitfalls you might see.
4: I'm very excited about DLT technology. Um, I think it per- potentially could be. Um, uh, really uh, fundamentally changing to the way um, transactions are recorded and um, uh, in our financial markets um, and especially in our derivative markets. One of the things that we're charged to do at our agency is to look at trading conditions, to oversee markets for uh, their freedom from manipulation and fraud uh, and their overall openness and fairness. And We do that by analyzing data, and yet we we do that in very much a 20th century method of collecting data uh, from different sources, piecing it together, scrubbing it, cleaning it, hooking up analytics to it. Hopefully, by the time all that other stuff is done, we might be able to gain some information from it. But increasingly, some of the best and largest market participants, some of our world's biggest banks, are moving toward a real-time data and market risk analysis process where they're analyzing data in real time. And that's not surprising since some of our best uh, online retailers and other companies from eBay to Google to Amazon to even firms like Uber and Lyft are processing and analyzing data in real time. And so that's where really we need to move to as a regulator. We need to become able to analyze data and and trading positions and and trading uh, ledgers in real time. And that's what the promise of DLT technology is as the world's largest financial institutions utilize a blockchain approach to confirming uh, their trading ledgers against each other and their positions uh, in financial instrument, instruments which, with each other, we as a regulator could potentially become nodes on that, uh, on that private ledger or the private blockchain and be able to see the different trading positions of the, of the large counterparties in our markets and therefore be able to get to a point where we're in can do real-time data and analysis of real-time trading data and real-time conditions in our markets as opposed to delayed reporting with incomplete data sets. So I think DLT has great promise for the industry, has great promise for market participants. It also has great promise for market regulators like the Commodity Futures Trading Commission.
0: Uh, that's really interesting and really promising, because one of the things I hear banks say quite often is that um, they like DLT, but they don't think regulators will like it. But actually, it's, it's really quite interesting to hear you say, Chris, that DLT could be quite positive for, for the market if, if it's implemented in the right way.
4: Well, you know, technology, right, has a disruptive factor. We, we've all known that. And in many sectors of the technology world, that disruptive capability of new technology is celebrated. But if you think about it from a regulatory world, that disruptive nature of technology is, is very threatening. It's threatening to ways and processes of doing things. And so, um, you know, regulators are, are people, too. And, you know, disruptive nature of technology can often, you know, have a threat factor. But we have to get beyond that and recognize, look, the rate of technological change is increasing and there's there's no stopping it. We have to decide whether we either want to you know get with it or fall behind it. But but there's no op- option of stopping it. And so we're, we're just going to have to deal with the disruptive nature of some of these emerging technologies, and, and and you know get caught up with them. And you know that that this occurs in every walk of life. It's just that we in government have to recognize that that's just going to be the way it is, and we've got to get out in front.
0: all right thanks very much to chris for that insight on how the cftc seeing blockchain and dlt to me it's interesting that they talk about first do no harm and and don't actively regulate this space if any of you are familiar with um a chap by the name of preston Byrne, he's been of the view that uh if you're doing anything with tokens icos or dlt uh perhaps you're you're in some serious trouble but actually the noises coming from the regulators are, are quite different do we think there's a regulator banhammer coming
2: anytime soon what what do you think of these types of noises from uh, regulators? what the CFTC's been- saying for the last year, year and a half or so. Um, what's really key to remember in the U.S. is it's it's much more complicated than we're used to in, in Europe, and especially in in the U.K. The U.S. is a federal system with 50 states, so we've got 50 regulators. Remember that we also have the policymakers, the government, so each state's got one of those. That's another 50, plus you add territories, 55. Most of those states have two bodies, the Senate, and so we're up to, what, 160 or some odd um, different regulators before you get to the federal government. The other one we really need to look at is the SEC. The CFTC was very clear that they're looking at these, um, especially derivatives, as being derivatives on commodities, which is great when you're called the Commodities Future Trade Commission. But the Securities Exchange Commission is another one that we really need to look for uh, more guidance on. And they they haven't said anything to date on this that I'm aware of, at least. That's where they could get really tricky. Now, that's not to say that they're definitely going to all put everyone in jail, although they may. Um, but we should also look at saying, what's this mean in a US context? Not just for the underlying cryptocurrencies like Ether, like Bitcoin, like Litecoin, the other ones, but what's this mean for the ICOs, the things ranging from Gnosis? Uh, we saw things, uh, coming out recently, Melonport. Um, we also look at things like the Dow, which were a catastrophe. Um, it's.
0: So that's a good point. Like people lost money in the Dow and. Kadim, I'm sure you're familiar with that and you've been watching markets and regulators for a few years. Do you think the silence from the SEC is eerie or is it kind of um, something that where regulators appear to be opening up to this fintech stuff and feel that from policymakers that they've been pressured to embrace this fintech
3: stuff even if people might lose out? Um, I think it all comes down to a question of scale and impact. I mean, one of the things that um, you know, so you have regulators and the name is that they will regulate, but obviously every regulator in each jurisdiction would like stuff to regulate, right? So you want to promote the, uh, bubbling up or the growth of all the various, uh, all various things going on in your jurisdiction. And I think while these things remain relatively small, then you have to sort of go, well, is there, you know, if you have finite resources and finite time, and also despite being called a regulator, you also want to encourage the development of um, things that, you know, make profit and pay tax in your jurisdiction. I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, there was Mt. Gox, which was huge. I'm not sure, have we seen a, you know, comparably huge sort of screw-up Well, up, well uh, since I, I, I think
1: the Dow is, is the, the prime example yeah. of a screw-up. And um, People say, you know, the Dow was hacked and the guy has stolen the money, but it was just a, a, a bug in the code. And we were telling everybody, don't touch this. Everybody, it was just clear that the, it was an uncapped Dow. The money kept pouring in. The more money came in, the more people outside the community thought it must be an amazing opportunity
0: so, so euros let's take a step back here the Dow was a project that raised one hundred and fifty million dollars in in sort of a couple of days yeah. and then lost sixty five million of that quite promptly well um, and, but it's more complicated
1: than it that. is more complicated um, the you know it, in a way it has split the community yeah. I was absolutely you know on the side of code is low this is the that, you know yes there's been a there's been a bug in, in the in the code um, however i spend my time educating people outside the community about the blockchain and how the immutability of the blockchain is the strongest point so you're you know all of a sudden it was like ah um okay um let's re- let's reverse the tape yeah, let's, so so let's we're in a position
0: back. now where, it, with the DAO potentially, well, we were in a position back then where we'd said, code is law, we're going to give this piece of code $150 million. We didn't think it was going to raise anywhere near that amount, let's be fair. Um, and when code goes wrong, then suddenly code being law is no longer necessarily a great thing. But then there's a, a question about checks and balances, and some people want that to be true and say that the cost of doing business um, for, our, uh, for our morals and for what we believe could be that, and we should just move forward and others said actually no we should have some checks and balances here that are a bit less than code or a bit less technical and it sure. created some some serious questions i guess this is why uh, regulators might look at the space and and kind of raise an eyebrow but then also um the fact that they haven't yet when 65 million dollars has been lost is is pretty interesting i mean that would be sizable if it was a fat finger error for a bank surely yeah.
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, we talk about 65 million being a big number, and it is. But let's let's put this in context. Um, they said during the, the credit crunch, over six trillion dollars was lost in the U.S. economy alone. Uh, you look at something like insider trading with Sockgen around the same time, four point nine billion euros lost because of one trader. Um, it's a big number, but it's not really a big number if you're a regulator.
3: I think. I mean, I think it just comes down to so who a who's losing the money. Um, and if they are sort of vulnerable old age uh, pensioners, then of course regulators will act. If a, if a it's less clear where the people who have lost money are based, for example, um, and so on and so forth, then 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 the pressure on any given regulator to start cracking down on an area that you know is quite niche still today um, is much smaller than the rest a lot of the other areas that they regulate, and finally you know you do have this pressure to facilitate innovation quote unquote and uh and i think that's always going to be in the minds of any
1: regulator we talk about uh, sophisticated investors and how they can lose money um the fact the buying bitcoin and buying ether to get into these icos is so clunky in itself then you yeah,
0: you've got a people oh. who are self-selected towards being pretty aware of exactly. cryptocurrencies yeah. and uh, because they have self-selected there's a bit of um, a co-founder at 11FS Jason says you live by the sword you die by the sword or live by the gun die by the gun in the wild west there's definitely a bit of the only people that are losing are the people that wouldn't talk to the regulator anyway
3: sure yeah and um, well, an interesting sort of comparison Sorry to jump in is so if you look at crowdfunding or equity crowdfunding in the UK um the, there are a million and one stories about, um, you know, uh, forecasts that are missed, uh, people have lost money, they're giving, investing in companies that really aren't going anywhere and so on and so forth. And, um, uh, when I asked, uh, the FCA about this, they said, well, we kind of have the view that everyone investing in crowdfunding is basic, basically sort of doesn't expect to make a lot of money and, and so, is sort of doing it as a bit of a gamble and a bit of a fun, bit of fun. And so given that the expectation in that space is, you know, I kind of know that I might lose my money. You could, you can make the same argument for a lot of people who are investing in these extremely speculative schemes, which is they know it's speculative. So we'll come back to this because we've got a couple more
0: stories that are that are similar uh, along those lines. But I think it's interesting that uh, we haven't seen a movement from regulators yet. And what I'm hearing is it's kind of a scale thing. Whilst there's a there's a party going on in this corner that could be really significant, it's probably not big enough to to warrant regulator attention yet. But what does it mean when it comes? Uh, moving on, uh, Euros. There's a story here. Um, um, in coindesk again, who make up all of my stories this week. so shout out to coindesk for covering the spaces they do. Um, National security advisor in the USA says Bitcoin needs to be understood and not feared. What, what's going on here?
1: Well, I think we, you know if you talk about Bitcoin with with somebody on the street, you know they will they, straight away they will say you'll we'll go back to the Silk Road buying drugs. You know, my favorite is hiding a hitman. You know, from, everybody says that. Um, and So you mean
0: you couldn't hire a hitman before Bitcoin? Uh. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't know. If, if I was a hitman, you know, Bitcoin would be the last you know, payment I would take, you know, for services, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, this think that's tank... That was if you were a hitman. If. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when. <laughs> um, and this, yeah, this think tank is like, look... You know, let's look at the positive things of Bitcoin, and I think you know when you know recently with WannaCry, for instance, WannaCry
0: being the um, hack of the NHS and many computers around the world. Yeah, three
1: hundred thousand computers. Um, I was quite surprised that the the paves didn't jump as much now onto the fact that it was Bitcoin was the ransom they were after, and then you think in this world where. People, you know, they haven't upgraded their Windows, you know, they're, they they're on Windows XP and those are the people you're asking to send you Bitcoin. You know, it's, 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 it's just, just
3: stupid, isn't it? You know, like if I, I, you
1: know, if, if I was them, you know, I would have said, there's look, a
3: lot of if I was uh, uh, a yeah. <laughs> insert criminal going on, <laughs> I would have said,
1: look, you know, send us a check, you know, okay. uh, and we can make two easy payments or something. Um, because in the end, only 300 people paid in the the ransom and of course the the power of blockchains is the transparency you know every bitcoin transaction is a hash of all the previous transactions so
0: so what does that mean colin if 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 every if this this currency is truly transparent why why shouldn't we fear it why do we need to understand it
4: well,
2: I think there's two very different things in there. Um, it is absolutely transparent in, in one regard. You can see everything that's happening inside of a Bitcoin blockchain. That's kind of the point. That's why it is decentralized. That's why there's no point in the middle. Um, it's also bearer. There's, you don't attach your name to it. Um, if you keep using the same address, maybe somebody could work it out backwards, but it's not there by design. The, the second question you asked there around what, what do we need to understand about it? it's a complicated set of technology. It's a complicated system of game theory to say whether this works, how it works. And it's not really anything that we're overly familiar with. Um, I like to kind of compare cryptocurrencies and especially when we get into the ICO realm, it's more clear, but it's almost like you're buying a product from somebody that happens to also be their stock. Um, by buying stuff from them, you make the value of it go up, which means it's more costly to transact in it if you're also paying fees in that. Um, it becomes really complicated and that's why... People are kind of getting away from the early promises of it's very cheap to send money back and forth. It no longer is. And it probably won't ever be again. It might be cheaper than today, but it probably won't ever be cheap enough to go out and buy your daily Starbucks. It's it's super interesting
0: that you've got this uh this bit of technology sitting out there working, being used by a lot of people. But but still, if you talk to a lot of people, it's kind of feared and kind of seen in a negative context that Bitcoin itself. And there was this narrative for a little while that we like the technology but not the currency. Kind of, are you still seeing that, or do you think that stories like this with national security advisors saying let's understand it and not fear it are, are turning the tide on that?
3: Um, well, I I mean, I think security people have been saying this for uh, a while or perhaps maybe they may not have said it as you know at the you know the first as the the first thing they would say but you know for a long time there's been this sort of nod and a wink well this is very scary and people are using it for bad things but actually we're going to invest a lot of time and effort in understanding how to track transactions because if people want to do that then we're going to try as hard as we can to um, be able to unpick this thing and so um, I think, you know, there's that sort of idea of Bitcoin as on the one hand, let's do down governments because we have our own currency now. And you know, on the other hand, governments saying you're using an open network, um, which we have as much access to as you. So. Cool. All right. Go
0: well, for it. Once they figured out how easy and trivial it is to catch the Silk Road hackers, they, I think the security agencies' opinions on Bitcoin really, really changed. And I remember uh, I, I did a lot of work with people in the financial crime space uh, earlier in my career when Bitcoin was was kind of bubbling around. And once I showed them tools like Chainalysis and Score Chain and how trivial it is, even if somebody's using very complicated ways to cover their tracks, to really figure out who's doing what uh, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, they were actually quite excited um that they because compared to the regular banking system which there have been fairly big fines for not being able to trace money laundering through the regular financial system this thing is actually really easy to trace so in a way it hasn't delivered on the promise of the kind of the idealists who founded it but it has sort of created this thing that's that's really interesting and and kind of special in its own way
2: yeah, I mean, I, I kind of come back and, and slightly temper that. Uh, I think it is delivering a lot of what the early idealists put out. I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto, um, if you don't know, he was, uh, the early shadowy figure that put it out, and we're not sure who or whom they were. Um, but, uh, it was very clear on a lot of the early posts about it that it, it wasn't, um, hidden from view. It was very open. Uh, it was just because we didn't attach our names. It, it became that bearer asset and that's part of its value. But at the same time, there's a lot of different, uh, different ideas about how you obscure your transactions, uh, encrypt. Possibly uh, or do zero knowledge proofs, which are all cool things if, if they economically make sense in the future uh, they're all cool ideas about how you might offer that
1: yeah, and again it comes back to the technical side um, in. Are criminals do they know about homomorphic encryption stuff? Yeah. I don't think that yeah they do.
0: There's a there's a buzzword for you people. Um, if you've got some free time when you're listening to this, go Google homomorphic encryption because one it's hard to spell, but two it's just a fun fun technology. That's um it's it's a really interesting term as well. All right, so look, I, I'm going to move us on because um, the Bitcoin price when I wrote this the show notes for this on Friday, um, the Bitcoin price was nearing sort of. Uh, nineteen hundred dollars. This morning when I last looked, so it's it's Monday when we record this people, not the day it goes out Wednesday. So we're we're probably a little bit behind you, but it's about what um twenty one hundred, twenty one hundred twenty two sixty is what I see in front of me. Twenty two sixty. Alright so the price of Bitcoin is going nuts. Um is there does
3: anybody have a clue what's driving this right now? I don't know, but I, I do have a friend who's very angry at me because he asked me about a week ago or a week and a half ago oh should I invest some money in Bitcoin? And I said no, no, never, never do that like you know if you unless you you know you have money that you want to throw away and you don 't care whether you keep it or lose it, fine go for it, but don 't do it and so now he 's really angry at me because he would have you know made a significant profit, but I still stand by my point, which is i don't, you know i don 't know why it 's gone up i don 't think anyone really does know why it 's gone up, and i don 't think anyone can really go it 's at this price because it should be valued at this price for x y z reason, and so it could just as easily by the time this show comes out have crashed 20% or 30% or 40 you know, and so I just I find all sort of things about the Bitcoin price kind of funny and interesting, but I it just dropped $250. No, you said that. No, are you kidding? You can't be kidding. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. All right, it's, a, it's just a ridiculous thing. And so, um, the price. Are of you big- serious, Colin? I'm absolutely. <laughs> serious.
0: Yeah. All right. So, so, right there is a living example as to why I've said on the Main Fintech Insider show is exactly as Adam is saying. Unless you're willing to lose the money, then it's probably not wise to put your your life savings in this stuff unless you're really risking things.
1: Yeah, but I think um, for. If you're comparing Bitcoin with ethereum it's like this week uh, the ethereum Alliance have come out with a list of 80 big companies all have joined the ethereum alliance now you know that's you know that is something of tangible that you can relate to the increase in price and we were talking before Colin how we what well, we actually met before in the um, bar where the, the first ethereum meetups were held and uh, Far away in, in, in the ball, in the ball, Bell, sorry, Bell, Bell yeah, in Allgate, Gates. All yeah, yeah. And, um, fond memories. And of course we, you know, we remember going out having a, a meal when, when Ethereum was $12, thinking, wow, that's just amazing. But since then. You know, yeah, things are moving on. Companies are building on this, uh, on this new. And technology. I guess Ethereum's
0: a slightly different story, yours, And we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. But, but I guess I'm, I'm still curious as to why, like, if, if I'm working in a bank or if I'm working in a large corporation, um, you know, Jeff Garzik did an interview with us on Fintech Insider some months back and, and he said that uh, he sees it sort of like the early days of Linux so in the early days of Linux you had open source software, you had this Russian guy Linus Torvalds, um, it all seemed like I, I don't know if I can trust this software. You wind the clock forward 20-30 years and now Red Hat and Linux run, is running most large enterprise companies in the background nearly everywhere and so what uh, the story Jeff Garzik tells is that decentralization is the step after um, the kind of cloud and AWS and, and kind of moving into, into that space. It's, it's kind of creating a different type of infrastructure. And yet you've got this price element to it that people get either distracted by or kind of really into. Like if I'm in a in a financial institution, I'm regulated, should I just be looking purely at like, heck, I should just sort out my compliance and understand this space so that if I get hacked, I know what I'm doing? Should I be saying, actually I can be building services in this space, or should I have more nuance and say there are bits of this that I like and there are bits of it that I don't? And and how do I how do I get there?
3: I think the, I mean I think I just I think more banks should just be selling this to their clients. Mm-hmm. No, I, don't. I mean I'm. <laughs> um, well, what's
0: really interesting is there are some theories I've been hearing that um, part of the reason the price is is growing so much is because the institutional investors, so the asset managers, some of the smaller ones, may have moved a little bit in this space, not serious amounts,
2: but there may be some funds in here. I'm I'm not sure that I 100 percent buy that. I'm I'm sure that there are some funds that have invested, and and I will be happy to report that Flash Crash is over. we back over two two hundred. <laughs> 2,260. Um, it's whoo. crazy. Um, but I think what we've seen very clearly and is, is quite um, open is there's a lot of new interest coming in from Japan and from Korea. Uh, also, I mean, WannaCry, we talked about that earlier. A lot of people heard about Bitcoin maybe for the first time and said – Oh okay this is interesting It went up in a few a few years from nothing to over $2000 maybe I'll chuck in a couple hundred bucks you get a few thousand people doing that that adds up to be a lot of money really quickly i think there's also the other thing which is uh the scaling debate uh we're going to probably hear a lot more about this this week from consensus that is something that uh, what has- is the scaling debate Colin very good question so um basically there there is a problem an issue I wouldn't say a problem, I, that was the wrong word, with uh, Bitcoin, that the blocks were set with a cap of one megabyte per 10 minutes. Um, so um, the block
0: being like a file of transactions, right? So if I'm going to send a bunch of transactions, I stick 500 of
2: those into a block instead of sticking them into a file. Exactly. So imagine in the middle of this table, we're sitting around, we have a little box and we say, we're all going to take business cards, we're going to write transactions that we send back and forth, throw them in the box. Every 10 minutes, we'll empty that out and write down what happened. Now, that's only going to hold so many business cards, um, that works out to be about seven transactions a second. And that, as it currently stands, is kind of the upside of, of how many transactions you can do. Now, some people, there are a group of people that would like to make that box bigger, um, would like to have bigger blocks. Um, so you can put more business cards in that. Now, there's another train of thought that says, well, actually, we don't necessarily want to do that route for a lot of technical reasons that we won't get into. Um, but we'd actually like to, it's an analogy here, but but go with it, we'd like to make our business cards smaller. Um, so this is called a segregated witness. There's a reason for that. First, you don't need to change the box. Um, so we do what's called a soft fork. Now we're arriving at a, at a moment in time where there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, which is driving up the, the price somewhat. But I think there's an underlying philosophy in here. By making this box bigger, you're saying we want to have a system that works like payments. Now payments is great. It's worth so much money. Um, but replacing gold's worth a whole lot more. And that's why Bitcoin is going up. Segregated witness, by definition, is looking at how do we make this digital gold. So do you think the thesis has
0: changed on Bitcoin from this is a payment system to this is digital gold? Because I, I guess um, the CFTC coming out and saying it's a commodity doesn't seem so crazy anymore when it's reaching parity. And also, like, there's there's something there um, that you didn't mention, the Lightning Network. So I, I come from a payments background. I'm very familiar with Visa and MasterCard. So when you go to make a payment um You know, in a retail store or online, you're not actually moving any money. The thing you're doing is you're placing your card for your contactless transaction or you're placing your card and swiping it if you're in the US. And when you're doing that, what you're saying to your bank is, I'd like to make this transaction. And your bank says to the merchant or the retailer or the store you're standing in, yep. Simon's good for that money. He has enough money to make it, but we'll figure the rest out later. And that's called an auth or an authorization. Bitcoin doesn't have that concept at all. Bitcoin says, I'm going to make a transaction with Colin. And then it sets about like actually moving the money and hard move. It. Like, it's almost like picking up a lump of um, cash and then moving it around the world in a van and giving it to you. And it lands there three hours later instead of um, taking airmail and, and three days later or whatever. Whereas uh, the Lightning Network, for me, it, the color really is it brings in authorizations to the Bitcoin network. It kind of allows you to say, yeah, Simon's good for it, Colin's good for it, and we'll figure this out on Bitcoin's core network in the next three to four hours. But it takes the pressure off the Bitcoin network. And, and people are assuming this is all going to work, that Bitcoin's going to become digital gold. I think there's something else going on as well. I wonder if there's just a bit of, hey, Bitcoin's still a thing. Like, we thought this was going to die. We thought it was going to go away. It went from 1,300 down to 200. And slowly but surely, it's kind of still around. Is there something there?
3: Um, Well, I, I think, you know, you mentioned about how the story has changed. Yeah. Uh- I mean, I don't I'm not trying to, you know, sort of say that the critics were all right or, you know, sort of trying to toot a horn or anything. But it is it is interesting that <laughs> but it is interesting that now what is happening in Bitcoin is that solutions are being um, created to solve the problems which critics said existed and which were you know, argued about for a long time. So, for example, yeah, the idea that um, this would be used for remittances um, turns out. Huge backlog of transactions it's not really cheap uh, anymore to actually send money um, and the network can't do it um, and so now what we have is you know a variety of things which are basically we're not using the block the, the bitcoin we're not actually using Bitcoin to move the money around or to you know in in a sense right and so and so it's interesting that the and that was a big part of the argument right the payments argument was a huge part of the bitcoin argument um for a long time and so i think the fact that now it's being worked around suggests that yes it's still here and its resilience um, has sort of confounded many critics but it's not it's becoming something different to what the critics criticized i, I would agree with mm-hmm. that entirely
0: at
1: I- Go ahead. Yeah, um, Colin, you, you, you put a tweet out. There was, there was a guy who offered a, a million dollar ransom for uh, Litecoin, Do you yeah. and then you yeah. repl- you replied, and he said, "Surely, you know, yeah, if you, if whoever knows how to hack SegWit would wait until it's on the main." <laughs> <laughs> on Bitcoin,
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't have enough technical knowledge to say whether there is a hack around Segwit. But there, there are a lot of people out there that are concerned with some of these new upgrades and whether they are as secure as they're sold to be. Um, I, I don't know. I can't pick it apart myself. Um, but I, I would reckon that a lot of people that are using some of the examples about them being put out in the wild in things like Litecoin, um, or just some of the economic changes of moving Bitcoin to look a whole lot more like our current financial system. Our current financial system is not necessarily as strong as we'd like to think it is. Um, for those of us that worked in the banking industry in in the late 2000s, we saw firsthand that it's not as strong as we'd like to think it is, um, even though we name all of our businesses after rocks and things like that. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, um, if we find problems, we're always going to find them when they're too late, and maybe that'll make us all lose a couple billion dollars. At the end of the day, again, a couple billion dollars isn't the end of the world, <laughs> even though it may hurt, you know, those of us sitting around the room or listening to this podcast that went, Woo, I'm going to buy into Bitcoin at 2000 it's going up to $20,000. I don't know. Don't buy it on leverage.
3: I would say, <laughs> sp- spoken like a true banker, you know. Oh, we might lose a couple of billion here or there, but <laughs> billion here, billion there. Pretty soon,
2: we're talking real money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Speaking of crazy price stuff, um, Ripple has set an all-time high in its price. They've gone up nearly 10x um, in in that time, and they've also pledged to lock up um, a whole bunch of that currency so it can't be sold. So they were holding on. So they invent some currency out of out of thin air for, to represent your know, kind of value in their network uh and then people get concerned um that they've got the majority share of that so they 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 lock it all away and say don't worry we're not going to dump all of this in the market because the price has gone up which in one way is is Calming the market, in another way, it could be seen as market manipulation. It's it's kind of a double edged sword. They're, it is. Um, they're, they're, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. But what's driving it for Ripple? Because there's a, they seem to be making announcements about a lot of banks working with them and a lot of them using it for
1: payments. Actually, yeah. Well, there's sixteen. You know, they're talking about locking up sixteen billion dollars worth of tokens mm-hmm. in fifty five wallets.
0: That's awesome. Wow, that's that's a serious amount of money they're locking up. So not all of this is circulating right now. So not all of it's available. So there was a lot they were just holding. There was some available to buy. Of what's available to buy, there's a market cap of around what? $12.5 $12.5 billion. on on that. And then there's a bunch that they haven't put into the market. Which, which is they, $16 billion. <laughs> Which they've said, we're not going to put it into the market now, um, which is which is kind of creating scarcity. Um, given that there are lots of large financial institutions, especially in uh, some parts of the world, saying this is going to be our future payments infrastructure, d- does this have any impact on the future payments infrastructure if, if Swift were replaced by Ripple, for instance, as a lot of people say it could?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of the people that talk about S- Ripple replacing Swift fundamentally misunderstand what Swift does, um, and they fundamentally misunderstand what Ripple's trying to do. Uh, it's a great story. Look, I, I like you, Simon. Used to work in a bank, and and we got pitched by Ripple. Um, it's it's interesting, and a lot of this price uh, price accumulation that I've seen is is driven by uh, at least one Japanese bank um, announcing that they were going to do something live with Ripple, uh, which is great. I I don't know if they're actually using the real Ripple network. I did hear rumors about uh, several different banks, not the ones that you and I worked at, but several different banks actually looking inside the Ripple network and saying, oh, I saw you and sending each other emails. So I I don't know that uh, people will actually use Ripple in the form that we talk about Ripple, but they've also gone through several pivots. So I really don't know what they are or why it's worth $12.5 billion. Mm -hmm.
0: The story now is about internet of value. Um, so this is the way we're all going to move money in the future and that uh, we're going to have conditional transactions that can that they can do magic things and we're going to save a, a lot of money. Um, the view is that I think a swift transaction is, is expensive and slow because it, it goes through lots of intermediaries. So if I want to send money to Ghana, I might send it from a UK bank to a US bank to a US bank to a South African bank, from a South African bank to a Ghanaian bank. Uh, and all of that is a paper process somewhere along the line And Ripple says actually will link all of them up in an internet-like structure and it will be really, really fast. And I think people buy that bit, but what they miss is that you could do that with Swift. The reason Swift is slow is that everybody in that chain has to KYC the parties to each transaction and by kyc i mean know your customer that means they have to make sure that they've checked the passport or some address documents for the people and cadim you've probably written some of the headlines about the fines banks have gotten for not doing that properly yeah
3: i i this story is really fun because um so there's a problem here which is that there's a ripple there's a market for uh, the ripple currency and um and ripple own like a bunch of it and so people are saying oh they're going to sell all of that dump it on the market and it's going to crash so there's uncertainty about the price and so they're sort of they're creating certainty but it's kind of like there's nothing real here right they're like we are not going to sell all our ripple currency and so everyone goes we don't believe you it is in a smart contract um So we're definitely not going to, except once a month we get it. The contract expires once a month. And, uh, we, but we promise even once a month we won't sell it. And so I think
2: that's only a part of it though.
3: I think it's on a release schedule over four years that
2: releases a certain amount every month. But I was surprised in that story because I thought they jettisoned smart contracts because they said it was too expensive and they weren't going to use it. So do they really have a smart contract? And if so, they now have smart contracts back in and I've completely we missed it. We should get somebody
0: from Ripple on the show next week and we'll, we'll we'll ask them directly because I think this is the problem is that they have been an evolving company to say the least and as a result they've been getting a lot of feedback from banks about what they really want and therefore maybe maybe the story has changed and, for good
3: reason. And also I mean the the exact opposite of <laughs> the exact opposite is true here right so if they're saying well we've got all this currency and we're not going to sell it so we're going to lock it up for 54 months and every month a little bit every month a little bit of it is expired well that what they're saying Thing is we are slowly going to sell this over the next 54 months, right? Because, <laughs> like, therefore, why else would you have this weird schedule, right? You just say, we're just not going to sell it. And it's, you know, we're just not going to. So, so, what does that mean if I'm in a bank, right, Colin? I, I'm
0: looking at this and I'm thinking, here, I've really got. A swift transaction costs me fully loaded around thirty pounds. A lot of that's KYC, maybe forty pounds, depends on the bank. Somewhere in that target region, and maybe it's maybe it's twenty dollars to forty dollars, somewhere in that region, depending on which bank I'm dealing with. Depending, you know, if it's a if it's a bank I'm dealing with and one of my high currency flows, it's a lot less. If it's a uh, another transaction, it's a lot more. But it averages around somewhere in that range does this mean that you know so Santander famously invested um in Ripple and are are quite bullish um there are lots of banks that are a bit smaller maybe not your number one banks in the world your tier one banks your current your flow monsters that are really interested in this and do you think they're just trying to um change ripple over time and we're we're seeing this in in some of their moves lately
2: i think we've already seen um one thing that was interesting we we're talking earlier about regulators and when they're going to get involved uh ripple i think was actually the first cryptocurrency cryptocurrency related company to get a fine from a regulator that was followed by several others but that's the first that i was aware of um but uh one thing's that that people often forget is what banks really hate is not that it costs a bit of money to send money through swift it's the uncertainty of what it's going to cost to send money through swift or through ripple and if you're using ripples the xrp uh, currency in ripple you also have that uncertainty so they'd be quite happy to pay five bucks and know it's five bucks as long as they can push that onto their customer if they sometimes pay one penny sometimes they pay 12 bucks they're just not going to use it because they don't know how much to charge their customer
0: and I think this is something that um, some of the folks at Ripple have said is that from that you can the price of the transactions is so unbelievably low, even if it multiplies by a uh, thousand x, a hundred thousand x, it's still going to be an extremely low cost uh, for the for the banks to use. Therefore, uh, from a bank's perspective, you don't have to worry about this price thing. It's just something nice in the corner. But I, I don't know how you can separate the two.
2: Yeah, I I think. I mean, when you really separate it and look at, at what the current system costs, I mean, I I hear Swift messages actually cost somewhere like a buck a piece for a large bank, maybe even less if you're massive like JP Morgan and you send these things oh, all well, the, the time. Oh, the messages is, is almost nothing because it's the
0: correspondent messages, banking. Yeah, well, the message. Yeah, it's the correspondent banking that costs. Yeah. the The message is super cheap. The message is fractions of a penny, uh, because really you're sending an email. Uh, So it's kind of like I email another bank with what I intend to do, but in that email I don't include all of the documentation for the person that I intend to do it for. So therefore they have to trust that I have the documentation and they can't see it in the email. And the way in which they get that trust is every year they'll fly out 30 compliance people to sit with me and watch me do how I take documents from people. And until somebody builds a solution for that, then i think we're gonna we're still gonna struggle with the international payment space the um
3: just fine i mean on this story is quite fun because uh uh, for another reason they say they talk about why the price has been going up and it's like more than speculation and so you have this first analyst who says well it's basically um you know banks are getting on board so on and so forth and then you have someone who follows up saying it's basically the fear of missing out the price is going up and so people want in and you're like that's FOMO a- is
2: FOMO is the primary price driver in this industry. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> you see the price of Bitcoin go from, you know, what was it, $150 to 1300 over the space of a couple months in 2013, you're never going to let that happen again. Yeah. You want to get in when you see those $100 price moves, right? You're going to see the same thing when Ripple, what, a couple months ago was about $0.02 cents each. Now it's 30, $0.32. Cents. Do you
0: think FOMO, fear of missing out, is what drove people to get into R3s, what's driving
2: people into the ETH Alliance? Do you think there's there's just a lot of ships lost in the fog here? Well, we have to remember that big enterprises are all fast, fast followers. I mean, nobody wants to move first because we have to remember these are not huge organizations with their whole committee deciding yes we're going to go with r3 or enterprise f or anything else like that it's guys like what you and i did simon and we'll stick our necks out when we know that they're not going to get chopped off Um, but if you're the first guy you know you had a lot of balls maybe you did it but uh not everybody's going to be the first one there's only one first everybody else is going to follow that and that's how we really quickly saw things like r3 enterprise f hyperledger go from a handful of followers, handful of uh, deeply invested companies that believe the story to ones that frankly didn't care about the story. And they said, this could be the future. We need to get on board so in summary then we we think this price
0: stuff is is interesting but actually from a financial services perspective we're much more interested in the utility and and perhaps from from other big companies in in other parts of the world um but if i'm a small company or i'm a startup then this is an interesting time to be alive and there's one here that's uh that's definitely some uh some true blockchain insider stuff where we're talking about um a decentralized ethereum token trading going live there's something called zero x or ox I, I don't know the best way to pronounce it um Colin, have you had a chance to look at this one? And what
2: are your thoughts here? And, and what's it trying to achieve? Yeah. So, um, 0x, uh, I guess if we back up, what is it? So, um, what they're trying to do is obviously Ethereum is one of their big aspects is they have smart contracts. Um, and what that means is more than just we can have cool contracts between each other, that means we can have computer code living inside of the Ethereum blockchain. So, what some really smart people got together and did is said, well, we have all these tokens that float in the same network. Why don't we use this network to actually move those back and forth and on paper that's a really cool idea it could disrupt massive exchanges uh, it could disrupt the entire way that banks work to move securities um, i'm actually pretty bearish on this idea however uh, i see where it comes in on cryptocurrencies and people say i don't want to get goxed again and this is a good way to not get goxed goxed, goxed is now a verb people of uh, people that lost money in mount gox are said to get goxed um, so this was when it blew up in 2013 they lost uh, millions upon millions of dollars um you were said to get gawxed if you lost money in that. Um so this is a way to say, well, I move money out of your account in Ethereum into my account, uh, and vice versa for another token. Um so we need to define tokens and
0: ICOs and we'll come onto that after the ad break. But let's just kind of take this upper level and say, right, I've bought this token. This is this is something that's basically uh representing value in a thing right so uh, somebody who's building a startup that wants to build a thing it might be a prediction market it might be managing energy it might be this project that i'm buying into i'm going to buy these tokens and i've got these other types of tokens and i want to trade them and it's not easy to do that because there aren't a lot of places that have got these tokens because they've just been invented out of thin air so therefore having some way for them to cross communicate is is probably a useful thing it's
1: it yeah, especially, um, on the Ethereum network because they're all the ERC20 protocol. Ooh,
0: that so sounds, they, that sounds like a movie title. It does. Yeah. yeah.
1: Which means, you know, you can um, have them on a decentralized platform like this. Um, and I think for me, the, you know, the, the big elephants in the room with, with all these tokens is the volatility. And we talk about locking tokens in contracts to do stuff. But, of course, when they go up and down, as they do, you know, in the world of smart contracts, it it gets quite tricky.
0: So so let's do this then. Let's just say I take my fiat currency, I take my dollars, my pounds, my euros, I buy a cryptocurrency, Ethereum, for instance. instance. Uh, With my Ethereum, I then buy a token, and that token moves at a different rate to the Ethereum that I bought the token in. So I've actually done two conversions to get to the token
1: yeah and there's there's many um and there are many
0: of those so i can convert into ethereum and then i can convert into token a uh, and then back into ethereum and then convert into token b but there wasn't an easy way to do that
1: yeah and i i think a, a, a lot of the um, the people who invested in the early icos the ones that took a long time yeah you know, to come to market they they bought in at such a low price and now they're thinking oh hold on maybe i should have just hold on to my Instead of of converting to
0: so yeah. I I bought my Ethereum. Uh, for say, yeah, a couple of dollars. And then I bought this token with those couple of dollars and that token hasn't grown as much as the effort I could have had all along. It, it's, it's a really weird space we're in because, um, we talked about earlier the 86 companies have joined the enterprise Ethereum alliance. There's definitely a desire to take Ethereum more mainstream in that sense. And yet there are all of these concepts that are just so alien to most people that are dealing yeah. with technology on a day to day basis. Yeah, because
1: it's all about behavioral change yeah um cuz in on with our startup um we are looking to bring real time payments into reality uh, especially for workers in the construction industry um however no worker is going to take the volatility risk on their wage that day even though the technology allows real time payments for that to happen you need a token and so you need a stable token. So
0: you have just created the best segue for me to throw to the ad break and come back. And we're going to talk all about tokens. We're going to define what they are. Um, You've heard a lot about prices. You've heard a lot about some what's in the news. The reason for that is the big news this week has really been what's happening in the open source space. Future Blockchain Insider shows, we're definitely going to talk more about what's happening for, for large uh, companies. But we hope this has been interesting. For now, we're going to throw to our sponsors. And thank you very much.
4: The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Critical Mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today.
0: All right. Thank you very much for the sponsorship, the kind, kind sponsors that bring you this kind of show. Uh, I, there's a great quote from uh, our good friend, Chris Boniski here of ARK Invest. He's an analyst over there. I follow this guy's Twitter account religiously. Uh, he says, the less attention you pay to crypto assets, the more surprising the future will be. And actually, from a financial services perspective, Colin, how do you reflect on that quote? Do you think that um, if you're in financial services, you should be paying attention to this subject? Or is it something that you just shouldn't?
2: Look, I guess, I guess it really matters, um, what you do in financial services, whether that's applicable or not. Um, certainly where I used to work, um, paying attention to cryptocurrencies was a big deal, even though, um, the bank had very little appetite to actually dabble in the cryptocurrencies themselves. They were interested in the technology, rightly or wrongly.
0: Well, um, BNP Paribas has now launched the, um, uh, the, micro bonds piece as well. So there's real
2: technology out there in the market. Yeah. And I mean, that's very exciting. And I just, as a, as a side note, we talk about London kind of ruling the FinTech scene. It's amazing to see that France has put out one of the, the foremost, uh, avant-garde things, uh, on blockchain. I think that um, if you are a banker, what you really need to understand is change is coming. Cryptocurrencies, blockchains could be a big part of that. They could be all of that. And we're starting to wake up to that now. Something's going to come after these people that are making six figures, seven figures a year for doing very little work. I mean, you worked in a bank. We realize how little work you do as a banker. <laughs> Once you become an entrepreneur, you yeah. really
1: do. Yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> I think if you ask the question, you know, how are we going to do things on Mars? You know, what's the banking, you know, what is it going to look like when you colonize Mars? Yeah. And, I, and I think that the the, the model that we, we are now seeing will play out on Mars.
0: So if we're thinking um, 30, 50 years ahead, yeah. um, then we, we'd be investing that way rather than quarter by quarter. And if our shareholders were thinking that way too, they they may be able to create, create value rather than just looking for, for dividend return. And I wonder if there's a shift to that. So I look at the equities markets and I see something that, Kadim, you and I were talking about, before the show about that seems crazy. Tesla's market cap is now uh, far higher than uh, Ford's and and a bit above GM's. And that's a company that has one fiftieth of the revenue, maybe less. I don't know the precise numbers. It seems to me like the market is buying potential at the moment. And the market is buying innovation in a low interest rate environment where there aren't easy returns. So they're looking for returns. I also think if I'm in financial markets and there are all of these new asset classes being invented and I'm a broker dealer, I I sell asset classes in my business. Wouldn't this be an interesting thing to think about? Are there asset managers? Are there sell-side people that would buy it? Well, yeah, they're out there. They're already buying this stuff. So how do I make this something that people can buy? Well, I've got to work with my regulators and I've got to come up with the answers because really the regulators look for the private sector to come up with the answers. I wonder if we'll see that.
1: So Euros, for beginners, let's just define what is a token. Ah, well, um, I think to define the token, you need to go right back to the very beginning of the notion of uh, this utopia idea of having a decentralized, autonomous organization.
0: So a organization that wasn't centralized, so there was no obvious head office, there was no obvious place. It was autonomous, so there wasn't, it, it operated without people. And it was an organisation of some sort.
1: Well, yes, it's a organisation with no shares. I think you know, it's the the old world of having a share registry. Um, you know, this is you know this this is a, an entity, um, and of course, to, to create the entity like they did with with Ethereum um, initially, you know, you need to you know you need to get investors in, um, and the way to reward the investors is to give them tokens. And these tokens are then the fuel for the system. So they're not share tokens, they're the fuel.
0: What does fuel for the system mean? So well, I, I needed to get investment, I get that, right? So I'm launching an open source project, I want this open source project to get away from centralization. I don't want to build Uber, I don't want to build Facebook, I want it to be more um, more of a cooperative in how it operates. I, I, I get that much. So I, I need a way to raise money, I've raised that money, and that money is now being used as fuel. What, what does that mean? Well,
1: the money raised... Is, is normally used to build the actual smart contracts. So, yeah. You know, to pay the you pay the developers to build the smart contracts. Then the the tokens, the f- fuel, um, are are what's needed for these contracts to execute, because these contract these smart contracts are very passive. So so they burn fuel in effect. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, I
3: mean, so is the token? Could every smart contract like the the assumption is a smart contract is like paying out something given certain circumstances. Um, so the token is the thing that the smart contract yeah. pays out in.
1: Well, well, no. Um, for the smart contract to execute, you need to send it something. You know, there, there needs to be a, a transaction so that the the miners will will unravel that contract.
2: Yeah, I think I think one thing they so kind confused. of put in this it's it's complicated, right? <laughs> um, and, and definitions are very complicated here um i i kind of like to look at it there's, there's two types of tokens um there's the security tokens things like bitcoin like ether like litecoin like zcash um that really serve to um pay the the people that are supporting the network pay the miners or stakers in, in some networks the people that say we will secure we will hold nodes we will do all of the things to validate transactions. So paying for the infrastructure. Paying for the infrastructure, exactly. So these are security tokens. Now, the one on top oh, of... By the, security, you don't mean a security in the
0: financial sense. You mean no, security of the network. Yes, yeah, security no, of
3: the network. That would screw it all up. If, if we ever used words like security in the financial sense, it would be illegal all of a sudden. And ah, that
4: would well, be it bad. probably is. But they,
3: <laughs> the the ones on top of that, uh, the the second type
2: is um, often called app tokens or meta coins or things like this. And these are... the the examples being the DAOs, Etch, uh, looking at this model. These are things that don't actually serve to pay the people to support the network itself. They are a new currency on top of it, kind of like a writer. Um, and they're great – because they allow us to do other things I like create stable coins. Um, some companies are out there trying to – MakerDAO is, is one of them. They're trying to create coins that track against a dollar or a euro. And they need somebody in there that has, quote-unquote, equity uh, to take some of those losses or profits if the euro or the dollar moves against Ether, as an example. And it's a way to create it. But in itself, it doesn't help secure the Ethereum network.
3: Okay, so it's 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 the currency of the network that I'm building effectively in in sort of dumb terms.
2: The first one is uh,
3: the the security token. But even the second one is just simply a currency that I have pegged to something it's, else. It's right? something
2: you do on top of it. Uh, and then the third one?
0: So there must be a third one. The third one is what Chris Benisky calls um, the crypto asset. And the crypto asset is something that uh, ha- has an element more volatility and has some other kind of use. So gnosis is the classic example here. Uh, so gnosis isn't something that is pegged to real world money, but it is something that is bought and sold, representing its own market share of its own market. So um a prediction market is something where people bet I think this outcome is going to happen in this scenario and they will buy into that using those tokens and they will receive the answers, the winnings of that in those tokens. But also those tokens are being used to pay the developers. So it's kind of like a mixture of the bottom two but it also has this third utility that it is being used not just to move value pegged to something or not just to secure the network, but as part of the transactional activity itself within a new type of trading arena that wouldn't have been done before because we would have traded historically in dollars or euros or we would have pegged it. Kind of kind of that way. Isn't
3: that just the same as Bitcoin, right? So I could have Bitcoin and then I'll have a prediction market and the, the currency that we use in this prediction market is Bitcoin. So therefore I have to use my dollar to buy the Bitcoin so I can play the game. That yes. sounds kind of the same.
0: Yes, but your Bitcoin uh, wouldn't necessarily be used to uh, fund the development of the prediction market itself, whereas the token is. The token, the reason sometimes people use the uh, term initial coin offering is because people say, we're going to put these tokens out into the market. We hope you buy those tokens so that we can build this network with the cash we raise from doing this ICO, a bit like an IPO, um, but very different uh, in some senses. And you will be able to use these tokens in future for trading in this network. But by buying in early, you might also see growth in the value of that token. So for you as an investor, there's actually a reward.
1: Yeah, and I think for the investors, it gives quite instant liquidity to your investments. Because you imagine investing into a private company, you've got to wait years and years and years in the hope of getting a trade sale or something. Or if they go into profits, getting some dividends. Um,
2: so all these things bad? in the financial world, we call financial securities and are regulated by the likes of the SEC. Yeah.
3: But, but it's, it's just a little, little bit like basically you have someone who's saying, I'm just I'm making a stock market and so I'm going to sell you shares in my stock market and then you can use those shares to trade around my stock market and maybe you might make more money if you can get more people in to buy them from you.
0: Bingo. And I think this is why people are concerned they're Ponzi-like um, insofar as that sounds like, well, the more people that use it, the more the value grows. But also there's a bit of rational market theory in there as well, which is uh, if more people use uh, a network, the network effects kick in and the network grows. So there's there's a bit of both. Um, but I think there's, uh, there's a really interesting uh, blog post for anybody who's interested in uh, tokens. Fred Wilson of Union Square Ventures talks about fat protocols and fat protocols um sound like something that you know some kind of uh something that's eaten too many burgers i don't know but uh, you know, tcp like IP, a protocol nowadays. <laughs> uh, TCP/IP just went a bit crazy, but thin protocols being things that run the internet, TCP/IP and um, email, POP3 and S, Simple Mail Transfer Protocol, and so on. So th- these were built by academics, uh, and the academics made, and the world made profit on that, and the corporates made profit on it. So the academics make nothing from it; they give it to the world, and it's a thin protocol because it doesn't capture any of the value. And then you get all of the value in the companies that are built on the protocols and the idea of a fat protocol was that you would publish these tokens that pay for the maintenance of the network and the value is captured more in the protocol because the protocol does a lot more and then you build very small companies on top of that it, that's an interesting concept but is this what we're seeing with tokens is, is that something that euros you think describes it well
1: yeah i, I think so yes the the days of building the infrastructure in you know that's, that you know it took years and years with with the web I first launched my uh, the first website it was a, a real estate website in the spring of 1993 and I thought it was a great idea to be um, you know to be you know, to have properties on the website and it was a letting a, um, students letting a website and people thought it was a crazy idea an yeah, absolute crazy idea and I th- and it took what, 10 years for the web to grow, you know, to a a point where people took it seriously. Um, Where in this space it's just been... Instance. There's yeah. been an explosion. For yeah. That question. yeah,
0: but I mean, Kadim, I'm interested in your views. You watch more than just financial services. You've seen what's happened with the likes of Uber and these winner-take-all platforms, and some of the challenges that's meant from an organisational standpoint. Um, do Do you think that this is utopian thinking that we can have these type of cooperatives that buy in with tokens that create some kind of different way of doing things from a governance perspective, or is that this is this naivety?
3: No, I, I actually, I've, I always feel very hesitant to be like super cynical about these things because um i'm sure if you were in amsterdam way back when and everyone was inventing all types of um you know stock market instruments you would have had people going this is crazy and they would have been right and people would have lost money and you know and thus modern finance was born and so on and so forth um but there are a few there are a few a lot of things that really confuse me about it um so you know for example like, how many protocols are there going to be, right? Is there, is every single company going to have its own protocol, um, and therefore its own token and so on and so forth. And now I, you know, if I want to participate in any of them, I have to juggle this, you know, huge bucket of, you know, different tokens I have to remember all the names of, or is just one going to win and all the other ones will have to, you know, be, subservient to it or
0: and I think the term protocol might therefore be the wrong word for it because it's actually fat infrastructure and thin company um, yeah. because it used to be thin infrastructure fat company um, so you you'd have basics done by W3C for the internet and you'd and have Google and Apple on top of that yeah, yeah whereas maybe now that value that's in a Google Apple or Facebook is actually shrunk a little bit and more of that sits in the infrastructure underneath as a concept that's pretty interesting especially in markets where you need a lot of counterparties to um, collaborate together and they need an economic incentive to do so Uh, rather than just everybody investing in a company and hoping that company runs for the benefit of everybody we could all invest in some other way of doing it through an open source project which we see with Hyperledger and r3 everybody's trying to figure out the model and i think the reason this subject's so hard to define is because the people defining it don't even know what it's going to be yet, which is actually why the subject's so so interesting. Because we're really at the cutting edge of something that's happening in real time. I mean, Colin keeps raising his eyebrows every time he sees the price of Zcash moving. There's crazy things happening in real time in this space, which is why I think blockchain is probably super
3: super interesting. But just to, I mean, just to jump in, there's a quick question. So. But someone is running it, right? So say I, I'm going to do an initial coin offering for my project and you're all going to buy in. And so now you all own, all own a little bit of a stake in my project, still my project, right? And so if you don't like it, you're going to sell and go away and go buy something else. And so this decentralization part, I don't totally get.
1: Yeah. I think what you have is the founder's allocation of tokens. So all of these ICOs will say, okay, you know, we are going to, Put twelve percent or fifteen percent, whatever it is, um, on ice. Our tokens on ice for a year or two years uh, to show commitments that you know we are going to actually build this this um, project, and it will be at the future days where we're rewarded. And putting on ice is locking them up in a smart contract. But what we found, I think, is some of those um, projects that it's, it's, it's taken more than the year. Uh, to come to market, so the founders have been able to um, to actually spend those tokens. Um, but and, and it and it goes back to the in in the real world of of um, startups, you know, would you give out eighty eight percent of your equity? Yeah,
3: well, not to if investors,
4: I belie- not if I believed
3: in it. <laughs> in, no. in, like that's in, part of the
4: problem. With the yeah, ICOs, right? In the first round
1: of finance, you know, you you, you just wouldn't. The um, and and the,
3: and the other thing that like, confuses me is. So I'm going to have a project, um, and uh, hopefully it's going to be a huge success. Um, and what what that usually means to be a huge success is that it's going to make a ton of money, right? I mean, that, that's still the case in the crypto world as it is in the rest of the world. And so uh, if I own a token and it's a huge success, lots of other people will see it's a huge success and they, I want to get in on that. But... If this is a project that's going to be making money, there's going to be cash coming in. Does owning a token give me a claim to a certain well, percentage it, of the it cash? It
1: depends on the token.
0: Yeah. Okay. Some tokens I, will allow. Uh, and that's the complication because the definition of a token depends on the project and i guess euros this is kind of an excuse for us to talk about a a story here um in coindesk where there's a petition that's gone to the securities and exchanges commission in the united states um where they're looking for token rules are people pushing for rules from the sec Are, are they are they Playing with fire here, or is this something that um, actually we need the rules?
1: We, I, I think the whole community will welcome rules. Yeah. It's, it's something which, um, you know, and there's individual companies who will, most of the company, companies will launch their ICO based on previous ICOs. And, you know, for, for our own project, um, we were looking at it from, you know, how do you protect the investors and then reward founders on success? And because
0: the- and why would i do that instead of just going for venture capital
1: uh well <laughs> yeah well the
0: because nobody likes vcs is yeah. that the reality, though? I mean, if, if I've got a successful company, a VC will invest in it and I could do well as a founder.
2: Well, here's what's really interesting. There was, um, there was a tweet from our friend John Lillick at Consensus this morning, um, talking about exactly this. Uh, the first DevCon in, in London, we were all there, the Ethereum Developers Convention. Um, one of the lead developers of the Ethereum was talking to VCs and they wouldn't shut up about how great they are. And this is a guy that's probably worth about oh, half a billion dollars now because of his involvement in Ethereum. And they were too concerned talking about how great they were rather than asking him what he was going to do. I'm sure he's massively successful, but there's a lot of resentment in the Ethereum and blockchain community because VCs looked at this and said, look, Bitcoin's the only way to go. And some of the bigger VCs, and I won't name them out of Silicon Valley, were saying, you know, Bitcoin's the only one to be in. And if you're dabbling in Ethereum, you're losing money. We're never going to invest in you. Boy, how the times have changed. Uh, why Why would you necessarily go back and grovel to them if you have an active market that's pumped out in the last twelve months, three hundred eighty million dollars
3: to a lot of a lot of people that, frankly, some of them have deserved it, a lot of them haven't. I was just gonna say, I mean, it just sounds it sounds like crowdfunding, and cra- and I, this is that's not to mean that, like crowdfunding is uh, so Jason for trash, calls it crowdfunding but, for geeks. Yeah, and so it sounds like I mean, so I'm I, in no way am I going to sort of start sort of defending VCs and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, the reason not to take venture capital is because you know there are. You know, requirements on how you run your business, right? You're either going to grow fast or you're not. And if you don't, they're going to, they're not going to stop paying attention and stop coming to your board meetings and so on and so forth. But then, so, so then they've gone, well, you know, we don't want to take venture capital funding. And so therefore we're going to do our own, create our own type of crowdfunding, um, which is, you know, it's kind of like resourceful and fun, but ultimately I just sort of go, but what you are doing is not, so not anyone here, but what is happening is you have an idea. Um, you want investors. And so you're going out and getting them and ultimately it returns to do they have a claim on the assets? Do they have the right to tell you what to do? What happens if you start, you know, doing things that you shouldn't be doing, stealing money and so on and so forth. And so. Maybe I'm just being unimaginative, but I'm just like, this is a company, right? This is like, you have investors who have a claim on the assets and so on and so forth. But they've created a new language to get around a world which uh, the, all of those things that you talk about
0: have a language for them which ha- has obvious colories and, and similarities to the language which token salespeople are using. However, the regulation has created unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences are that only sophisticated investors can invest in companies that they like. And sophisticated investors usually means people with a lot of capital, and they would then also come not invest in things that may come from a new generation, that may come from an open source movement. And I think we see this, especially with blockchain, because there are people that want to build things that are no longer academics. The best and brightest used to be in academia. The best and brightest now find each other on the internet and build an open source project together, and they've found a way to fund themselves. And for me, that's fundamentally exciting and terrifying, because they, they are... Brilliant in their software development and engineering, but they have no experience in, in some of the financial services nuances. But hopefully, they get guided in that, and I think they are being quite philosophical about how they're guided with with the work that Euros and others are
3: doing. Yeah, I mean, there's that old joke about Bitcoin, which is that it's a it's been a way for a certain section of society to get like a master's in finance. Right To learn about, you know, central banking and monetary policy and currency and money and all the rest of it. And this, you know, this sounds like, again, I, I don't want to be cynical because you're right. You know, a bunch of people have thought we can't get money this way. We're gonna figure out our own way of raising money, and we have the internet. But, we I, can but I think people they get money
0: because they were doing something that may have needed to be done for a new evolution in terms of technology that that wouldn't have got money any other way, which is interesting. And and to Colin's point about VCs, I think the VCs are starting to come around on this. Like, I mean, USV is is uh, Union Square Ventures definitely. Um, but then A16Z has created a fund that's investing purely
2: in ICOs. I think
0: the story in in Sand Hill Road has changed
2: yeah and that's great you know when you join the party when it's already worth what 80 billion dollars that's great um but if you're trying to 80 billion billion for all for all cryptocurrencies right now see this is the thing i was saying to somebody who
0: works um in a pretty senior position in financial services the other day and he said well that's not nothing it's not a lot in the term of uh, financial services but it's not nothing and when somebody in that position says something like that i think to me it's you
3: know it's time to pay attention yeah but it well, I mean, you it's $80 billion, but it's like, but it's not $80 billion, is it? It's sort of like, if I, if I well, start. Well, well, now you're getting to the esoterics of what everything's well, worth, right? No, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, if I create a company and I say, hey, why don't you buy, uh, you know, 0.1% of it for 10 bucks or something, right? Suddenly it's worth, I can't do the math, but, you know, a lot yeah. of money. But the um, thing, the thing, <laughs> thing
1: is, you know, it's all about the team as well yeah, behind these companies. Yeah. The team, their vision. And a lot of those guys, if they want to see VCs, those species wouldn't understand what they're trying to build. I think there's a bigger, basically, a and bigger... then they go to a meetup, and all the audience in that meetup would understand. And what they would have this
0: invisible made-up currency and they would be able to use their small amount of this invisible made-up currency to yes. fund a project as unsophisticated investors but that really understand the technology and believe in that project. They may not have a master's in finance but they may know a lot about technology and now they have a route to invest so the geeks can invest. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. there, there's and the,
1: and the, the geeks and, shall and, invest, as was and said. And, said. and <laughs> also, it's, more, it's a community thing. Yeah. The you know the 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 people who invest in these ICOs, they're all there to help make sure that it's a successful project.
0: Which is why people say it's part technology, part religion, and part economics. I it's think- a cult, obviously.
1: <laughs> but,
0: but then I, to, to come back on something Colin said, I think that um, Sandhill Road and mainstream tech world had been very, very quiet in this space after Bitcoin. right? So Bitcoin happened, and then it kind of just backed off, and Bitcoin had its dark days, dropped to $200. Um, the whole R3 DLT thing happened, um, and the whole you know, banks got involved. So the open source community was pretty slopey shoulders for a little while, if, if we're being honest. But now we've seen the angel list the angel list so this is the place where angel investors yeah, go to exciting, learn yeah. that's cool yeah they go to learn about who yeah. to invest in as as you know like uh small companies that are you know, it's basically like meter meetup.com but for if you want to find a small company you want to invest in and you're a high net worth individual they've launched uh, a website they call CoinList that helps wealthy individuals invest in these new tokens Which is huge. As soon as Silicon Valley moves on something, I think, ah, this gets interesting. It it baffled me for the longest time why Silicon Valley wasn't moving in this space. And then uh, it was actually Vitalik uh, who said to me, well, if you think about what Silicon Valley is and does, they are winner-take-all platforms. It's Facebook, it's Google. It's it's Apple and and they naturally aren't inclined. The business model of VCs isn't inclined towards kind of inverting their profits towards protocols and and then maybe they haven't grokked that
1: yet. Yeah, but it, it goes back further. You know, those VCs when they when they presented their thesis to their limited partners, you know, that could have been five years ago. Yeah, before this this time.
3: I I think I I think the space has to break free from caring about VCs. I think hallelujah it, it, you know it's 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 too break free well you know but I don't know it's remarkable that like the the entire sort of uh like dichotomy is well we're we're funding this, in this way so we don't have to raise from VCs and I'm like yeah, you don't have to raise from VCs anyway. You could go get other sources of funding. I mean you could Or better yet, you could make actual revenues. Well you could <laughs> <laughs> that's a crazy idea, Colin.
0: Don't don't oh, be a crazy person. But
3: I, I do I do think it's really interesting how uh like venture capital sort of dominates the sort of question about how should these new uh ideas raise funding. Um because
0: I don't think it dominates it. I think it's just a case of isn't it interesting that it used to dominate? And isn't it interesting that that's our norm for where new companies come from? And isn't it interesting that that has now been largely sidestepped? So I don't know if it dominates the conversation so much as now it's interesting that the the people with where the capital are in in Sand Hill Road are paying attention to this, as Colin says, maybe a bit too late.
1: Yeah, but I think if the VCs were to embrace this technology, the transparency of, of the blockchain and in their portfolio theory, um, the days of investing in a thousand companies and then hoping that, you know, a few of them will, you know, will, you know, will you be a, at a success. Wins, yeah. you know, they could use smart contracts. They could, you know, invest in 5,000 companies and, and then have a, much easier way to monitor traction Academy's and then point, does it release need to be more money? vcs though can no, no, and i think that's I why disrupt
2: I think, all the
0: vcs yeah, but, Well, but there's a, there's a lot of money out there that's not vc there's family offices there's sovereign wealth there's pension funds and so on and actually will we see asset managers popping up in this space? Will we see a whole industry of pe- people that manage money of tokens for you that create ETFs? Like, c- will this be something that I can buy an ISA in or a shit you know, Like well, something really... God, well, I there's, 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 a, there's, a com- there's
1: a company in London called Kryptonite. That's a PLC where you can actually buy shares in that company. And that company invests money in buying these tokens and they're done go. really well. You can already do it. Yeah.
3: But I mean, and, and you know, not to bash VCs too much. I mean, to be fair, there aren't many investors who go around finding young, totally unproven companies or ideas with zero track record and giving them you know, even a little bit of money. So, to be fair, they do, you know, there is a function that they're performing, which other people don't perform. And um,
2: VCs, VCs don't, the, don't come in at that point, right? We're talking early, early investors. Okay. And that's your own money. That's your family's money. Sure, like, sure. you know, people mortgaging their house so they can do the first 50 grand to start their company. And that's where these guys are trying to address. And you can't
0: argue with the track record of the big names. I mean, you just... The, the try, they've either been the luckiest ever or they're really, really good at, at some stuff. But I think it may be on an old thesis or maybe not an old thesis, but a thesis that doesn't work for this sector. An evolving thesis. An evolving
3: thesis. Yes. Because you're never wrong. You're just early. Um, Can, just a really, a really, really dumb question. Rick. I know this is super dumb, but okay. Why don't do these people, do people not just use Kickstarter? Like, well, it, I it mean, fulfills the functions yeah. that they're trying to fulfill, which is get some money from a project, right?
2: Yeah, that's kind of what an ICO is. Yeah, but
1: that's a a different market. But it buys you in
2: as a consumer. Not only with Kickstarter, you put in money and maybe you get the product with a 10% discount. This is like, in order to buy my product, I'm going to issue you something. You're going to buy it for 10% of what you're going to buy it for in the future. And every single other person is going to have to also use that token to buy it. By the way, there's a certain amount of these that will never, ever be exceeded. You can make a ton of money. And buy that thing for a discount. There's a like
3: great, like, narrative, a great sort of emotional story where you have the geeks in Silicon Valley who have all the money. And then you have the geeks who are creating crypto stuff. And they said, like, hey, give us some money. And they're like, no, we think what you're doing is stupid. And so they went and invented ICOs. It's like, we've got our own way of making money. <laughs> and like, there's a great sort of like tension and story there.
0: Let's wind the clock back, um, a thousand years. I'm about to invent sterling. All right. And I'm like going to let you buy in at sterling, uh, 10% of its market value, um, today. And you get to buy it now, and everybody's going to end up using it, and you're going to make at least ten x on that value, and everyone's going to end up using it. If you believe that sterling is going to be a thing, then that's a good deal. If you don't believe sterling is going to be a thing, then that's not a great deal. Same with US dollar or euro. So
3: that, that and then my it. follow-up question is: Isn't the real business here that someone should be creating the Kickstarter of ICOs? I mean, Hell yeah!
0: Well, that's I, I well, think that's, that's Coinlist, what, right? That's
3: what Coinlist is is intending to
0: be by angel list which is why I think it's so interesting. If you see in the past week though, as well and past couple of weeks, Spotify bought media chain. To me, this movement has now started to happen. It was something that was very on the edges. It was very fringe. It was very sort of like it hadn't come out of the dark corners yet of becoming a thing. Blockchain you know, goes back to Bitcoin in 2008 and sort of we're still really, really early on. But movements like the Spotify movement and the AngelList movement, to me, are the first signs of actually this is becoming a thing that tech would run. Because if I'm in financial services or a bank, am I going to be the First to really break something like Netflix or be the next Facebook, or is that actually going to come from the tech world itself? It's, a, it's a really from interesting. Facebook question. and Netflix,
1: yeah, <laughs> and also I think when, when you look at um, Hacker News, um, which is the, the resource for te- technology news, um, we live in this world of Ethereum and blockchain and uh, Bitcoin, um, and you know the last year there was n- very rarely was there anything on Hacker News about this space, but now it's getting momentum.
0: And actually, isn't it interesting that momentum and price are correlated, uh, that people buy in when they're interested, and it's the geeks that are buying in, and these are the people that are going to build the things. There's some really interesting correlation there. And actually, when you get a lot of um, smart, young people trying to build things, disruption can happen. With that, uh, we've got to thank our guest today. Big thank you to Kat, where can people find out more about you?
3: Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kadam Shiver, um, and I write on uh, the Alphaville blog at the FT, which is ftalphaville.ft.com. Fantastic. Colin, where can people find out more? On, on Twitter, hopefully not, though. Colin G.
2: Platt... Uh on Twitter and you can just find me on any other place like LinkedIn or any normal place <laughs> hey, any normal place like London or France I'm sure probably France
0: <laughs> and uh, Euros
1: yeah uh, Twitter again I guess um, and uh, Euros which is spelled like the currency E-U-R-O-S we had to describe you that downstairs the-
3: you have the EUROS Twitter account. I do, yes. How, yeah. how, is, how is that on every, any given day? He tried day? to get ECB, but that was already yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I've lost speaking, it twice. Speaking uh, yeah. of taking yeah. down the central banks, yeah.
0: I don't know. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, and tell your friends and colleagues to listen too, especially if you want to hear more of this sort of stuff. We'll have more Blockchain Insight shows coming in the next two weeks. Check out 11FS.com if you want to learn more about the team who bring you fintech and cider every week. Goodbye for now.